Well, I tell you, it is my privilege, my honor to uh, present to you and to, and to have Dr. Rob Carmen share God's word. Him and Ginger are mentors in our lives. They are a blessing to us, and I know he will be a blessing to you today. Help me welcome Dr. Rob Carmen. I love you, brother. There you go. Hey, God bless you. FCM. I like you saying FCM. Yes. It's a lot quicker. We are so honored. I'm going to get this out of my way. Thing. Honored to be here. Thank God. You guys are part of a, you know what, one thing I've always, I, I, the first time I ever walked into this church, I noticed a distinct culture. And I've discovered through the years that churches, so many times, they don't know who they are. If you don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there. Because any direction becomes the right one. You know, it's like, a, it's like a fairy tale. And so one thing I always discovered, I remember telling Ginger, telling other pastors, I said, Pastor Chris and Pastor Melissa, they know who they are. And they've created a distinct culture. And when you have a culture, a culture is powerful because it attracts, it moves, and you know where you're going. And they stay true to that, the true north of the culture that God's placed in their life. It's a privilege and honor to be here. We love this couple. We thank God for them. We talk about them. We love what they're doing. I'm just trying to get them. I'm trying to get them overseas. I'm trying to get them overseas. I'm trying to get them. You know, they need, he needs to be giving this away to more people. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Raquel, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love the passion in, the, in you, the passion in everything. This is powerful. Well, anybody can sing, anybody, well, not anybody can sing, I can't, but a lot of people can sing, but Jesus said my words are spirit and life. So it's what that thing is filled with. And God loves passion, I'm telling you. He loves excitement, he loves energy. Look at the world, God loves energy. Everything in the world is full of energy, he loves excitement, he loves passion, he loves enthusiasm. In Theo, God within us, that's what he loves. And so uh, I thank God that the, the worship team leads us in that direction. Hey, are you guys ready? Yeah. I said, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. I got a great title on this thing called From the Womb. I mean, from the tomb to the womb. I don't want to get it. From the tomb, from the tomb. It's a story, and I'll tell you the story, and then we'll kind of work around it. I don't want to read it all because there's 20 verses, but it's in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is coming by ship. He's coming to the other side, and a guy is living in a, in a, um, among the tomb. He's in a graveyard. He's in a graveyard, and he's cutting himself, and so on and so forth. And I've heard this story for years, ever since I've been a Christian. And that's been, that's been over 40 years. And so I've heard it and I thought, you know, it's a great story, tremendous. But I thought, how does that, that, you know, I mean, I can't relate to it. And so I, I discovered sometime back, I can, I can relate to it. Because I also, I found out that until everything that happened in the Bible actually happened historically, but until the historical event becomes a real event, until I see myself in the story, the story it has no ability to release out of that story its power into my life to change my life. If it's just an historical event, that's what religion does. Religion reads the Bible historically. But I want to see myself in it. I've got to see me in that and then it comes alive. Now, I've only got one good graveyard story. Uh, I do. I do. One. And that was in the, in the nation of Madagascar, the latter 90s. 
I was out there in Madagascar. If you're not sure what Madagascar is, you've never watched a, D a Disney movie because they talk about it. The only time Americans know anything about it. And it's a big island, great big island uh, off the east coast of Africa. And it's a, it's kind of, and they're unusual people because they are, they are a blend. Um, between your black Africans and your Polynesians. So they're a mixed race and very gracious people, good people, but they do have some odd beliefs. That's why we were there, try to direct them towards uh, uh, Christianity, and we did. And uh, one thing they believe culturally is that all blessings come from dead people. And so they don't when you die, they don't put you in the ground. They build these above ground tombs. They put stones in front of them, very much like the Bible, but they're very small, very small tombs. And what they believe is, is uh, somebody in the family gets a premonition, whatever you want to call it. And they, all the relatives gather and they go, they march out to the tomb, roll the stone away, go in there, find whatever dead relative, they wrap them in canvas, put a name tag on them. They pull them out and they bring them home. Now they might be in the process of being decomposed at this time. It's horrible. Worms coming out of them, maggots, you know, the whole thing. And they, they bring them home, they unwrap them and put them in their bed. And then they sleep with them. And they believe that by doing so, blessings come into their lives. So they're telling me this stuff, you know, and I'm thinking, this is really bizarre. I would love to see one of these things. I mean, I really would. It's just so out, out there. And so we had, we had finished everything we were doing and we were driving through Madagascar. We had a, some unusual experiences, but two days had gone by. We were heading back to the capital, which is Antenna Narivo. And as we were heading back, we were still out in the country. And off in my distance, we were in a, 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 a van and I had a local guy that spoke Malagasy that was with us for translation. And then I had a team from the church, including our, our, our son was with us. And we were driving back and I could see off in the distance, a bunch of people, looked like about a hundred people. And they had these little flags, they had horns. They're blowing these horns and these flags. And I told this guy driving, I said, I said what, what's going on? Oh, he said, it's one of the end of one of them ceremonies. They're bringing back the dead. And I said, oh, wow. I said, let's, let's go. I want to see this. I want to see it. So we drove out in this field. And I always, I got pictures of this stuff. And you never know what's going to happen. So I, I kind of positioned all the guys. I told my son, I said, start filming it because you never know what's going to happen. This would be great footage someday. You know, I might get killed. I mean, tremendous footage. And so I said, positioned him, had somebody in the vehicle just in case you had to make a quick getaway, the whole thing. And uh, I walked up and there's a bunch of people there and they had just put the dead guy back in. So I found, I, I looked at what looked like the guy in charge and, and I told this guy with me, I said, tell him I want to go in the tomb. So he told him, uh, they, you know, I'm an American. I mean, they, they don't have no idea who I am. And he said, well, you know, he wants to go in the tomb. And the guy was real happy. I mean, he was excited. I wanted to go in. Very claustrophobic. I mean, a little tiny tomb. There were six dead people in there. So I get in this tomb and he's telling me every relative, well, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I wasn't, I didn't really care. I wonder well, why am I even in this thing? Very claustrophobic, you know, small and made out of dirt. And it's about eight feet deep. And while I was in there, I looked straight ahead and inside of stone, there was etched something like, like chiseled something inside this stone stuck inside the dirt. Now, I, I can't speak Malagasy, but I, I, I could figure out something because it had a, like a PS. It was Psalm 20, it's 23, it's Psalm 23. And I thought, how in the world did Psalm 23 get into this thing? 
I mean, I have no idea. God gets into anything. He'll crawl into any tomb there is. And so I got this bright idea and I jumped out, jumped on top of the tomb. And, and, and they don't, they, you know, about a hundred people there. I had no idea who I am. So I yelled real loud because if you, I figure if you take authority, people believe you have authority. So I said, people of Madagascar. And they stared at me. I said, I've come. And they just thought, so what? I've come. And I went into your tomb. And I saw you're dead. And while I was there, God showed me something etched in stone. And what I saw in stone, God wants to put into your heart. That was my opening. Then I began to preach the gospel. Tell them all about Jesus. Oh, it's hilarious. And uh, they all listened to me. And a bunch of them, you know, I prayed with them. They received Christ. I don't know what happened afterwards, but they, they prayed the prayer. And then I prayed for the sick. And I had one guy stomping his foot. He was, the leg was healed on top of the tomb. And I thought that was fantastic, you know. But anyhow, so that's my only graveyard story. But this, what I love about it is Jesus will show up in a graveyard. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is, how low it is. The lowest point of somebody's life, he comes. And I love this story because he had to get in this boat. He had to cross the Sea of Galilee and he shows up at the right place at the right time. And here comes a guy out of a graveyard, out of the tombs. And that's where the story, this story starts. And we often, I did for years, just kind of, you know, I just in my mind saw a graveyard, saw the tombs and saw this guy and demon possessed and cutting himself. Never saw myself in it until I realized that we are well, at times in our life, we find ourselves exactly where this guy was. He was in a graveyard. He was in a graveyard. You say, we might not be in a physical one, but we can move into emotional, mental, and spiritual graveyards. Because all a graveyard is, is a place of inactivity. That's what a graveyard is. And we can move into a life of inactivity. Oh, we can say we're active, but all we do is go through the motions. We find ourselves every day becomes very repetitive. There's, we lack joy, enthusiasm, excitement, the, the whole vibrancy of why God created us. The, the, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, uh, the, the word, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, centerpiece of the Bible is life. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. Jesus came that we might have life. Paul said, walk in the newness of life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And so on. It's the centerpiece of the Bible, life. And we lose it. We call ourselves Christians, but we just are going through the motions. We find ourselves in an emotional, mental graveyard. That's where depression, we have such a rise of anxiety in our culture. I just wrote an article. I write articles now for that version um, Bible app. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I write devotions for version. So I just wrote one called, if you want it, you get it, called burnout. And, and burnout has become a, a buzzword. People are burnt out, burnt out depression. I went through it myself back in the 90s. That's why, how I ended up in Madagascar. It was, it, but as another story, but you find yourself, you can be involved with God, but still be in a graveyard. You can be, say you're serving God, but you're in a graveyard. You're in a place of inactivity. You're in a place where there's no real joy. There's no real enthusiasm in your life any longer. Christianity has simply become something you're overly familiar with. And when you're overly familiar with something, familiarity breeds contempt. 
Whenever you become over, overly familiar in a marriage, the marriage will lose something. Overly familiar in a relationship, it loses something. You can become over, so overly familiar with God, you never see the miraculous any longer. He was in a graveyard. He was in a place of inactivity. I read a book uh, years ago by the, a guy by the name of Norman Cousins. Without going into his background, I will say just a few things. First of all, he was very, very astute. He was the only man that Yale ever conferred an honorary doctorate degree to. Back in the early 1980s, he was hired by the University of Southern California in their research hospital. They had the sixth leading research hospital in the world back then. When he went into that hospital, he looked at all the human anatomy. We have a skeletal system. We have a uh, muscular system. We have a, what, a respiratory system. And he asked the medical staff, where is the human immune system? They said, we don't know. He said, would you allow me the opportunity to research? They said, sure, but you're gonna have to raise your own money. Ray Kroc's wife, the guy that built McDonald's, was, uh, gave him $10 million. He told her the story. The daughter of the man that built Beverly Hills in California gave him 11 million. So in 1980, with $21 million, he opened up a complete research department to study the human immune system. And he did clinical trials for 10 years. And he found out what turned it on, what turned it off, what turned it on, what turned it off, what turned it on. He was trying to change the medical profession. He was unsuccessful in doing so because of the insurance companies. That's not the story. The story's this. I've got his quote. His quote's amazing. His book's amazing. He said, there is no disease, this is Norman Cousins' quote, no disease more lethal than the boredom that follows retirement. Now, when I say that, immediately people think of retirement as an age that they reach where they receive some kind of social security or pension, and that's it. That's not what I'm talking about. Retirement's a state, it's not an age. It's a state of inactivity. It's a state of life just very, becoming very routine. No disease, no disease more lethal than the boredom. The boredom. When life becomes routine, I get bored. Men don't die in battles as much as they die from boredom. Men don't mess up in battles. They mess up in boredom. Mark it down. It's because David messed up with Bathsheba, not because he went in to fight, but because he stayed back. And the boredom of inactivity is what led him to end up committing adultery with Bathsheba. That's where, that's what, that's, the devil will always get a man through boredom. Boredom is inactivity. Boredom is routine. Boredom is just a, a groundhog day. One day turning into the next, after the next, after the next. You can, and then, and then couple this, couple this. Nobody in America would argue with Noah Webster. He wrote the first dictionary. He standardized the English language. You and I spell the way we spell because of Noah Webster. He spoke 36 languages. That's pretty good. I speak one. He spoke 36 languages. He was brilliant. And he wrote, and then this first dictionary was written in 1828. He wrote his testimony, how he gave his life to Jesus Christ in the front of that thing. He had 10,000, 40,000 definitions 
You got to be good to define 40,000 words. I can't even spell. I can't even count that high. He defined 40,000 words with 10,000 biblical scriptures inside that original dictionary. And so, but, but, but go to the word old, O-L-D, and find out how he defined old in 1828. There's no reference to age. There's no reference to birth date. This will make some of you happy. There's no reference to age. There's no reference to birth date. When Noah Webster defined age, he defined it. He said, beyond usefulness, belonging to the past, stale. He said, that's old. Belonging to the past, beyond usefulness, routine. My gifts, my abilities, my skills, not being used, they're all buried, they're all dormant. The old timers used to say, you read some of the old preachers and they'd say the, the greatest sin that Jesus confronted, this will shock some of you, this will shock some of you. The greatest sin that Jesus confronted in the four gospels is what they call the sin of, use, of uselessness. A person that buries what they've got. He confronted it six separate times in the Bible and he went into detail about the sin of uselessness. Just showing, not doing anything. Not doing anything. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Where am I? Oh yeah, Webster, Webster. Stale, stale, belonging to the past. Beyond usefulness. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not doing anything. I'm just a body. There's nothing pushing me, nothing. You can be old at 20. You can be young at 90. It's an attitude. It's a passion. It's a heart. I got a good friend of mine, very good friend of mine. I was with him last week. I don't see him much. His name is Wayne Myers. Wayne Myers is called the icon of Mexico. He was saved on the USS Enterprise in the South Pacific fighting the Japanese in World War II. When a Japanese 500-pound armor-piercing bomb fell out of a Japanese warplane and bounced off the wooden flight deck of the USS Enterprise and blew up in the Pacific, that'll get you saved. <laughs> armor piercing, bounced off of wood. Only God can do that. He got saved. Gave his life to Jesus Christ. He said he laid in a prostrate position for hours as God dictated the call upon his life. He wrote it on three by five index cards that he still has. He's from Mississippi. God told him to go to Mexico. He couldn't speak a word of Spanish, can't speak English good. Nobody from Mississippi speaks anything good. I said that, I said that in one church one time. I made some people mad. Oh my gosh, I had no idea some people from Mississippi there. Anyhow, I hope you're not, but I apologize. But anyhow, he, got, he left the war. He, came to, he went, to, he went to, to Mexico. He'd been there 72 years. He's built six. Thousand churches. He started a movement came out called Amistad Christiana that is now the biggest 
evangelical movement in Mexico and that shifted the evangelical population. They estimated it when he went there at 2% evangelical Christian. They have it as high as 20%. They can trace it back to one guy by the name of Wayne Myers. When he was 93 years, he turns 97 next month. He preaches two to four times every single week. I had to see him. I, 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 I honor him. Admire. went down and said, Brother Wayne, I'm coming. Oh, for two to four times a week to this day. When he was 93 years old, I was, I was talking to him. And I love what he told me. I never forgot it. I, was, I asked him something. He said, I can't die. Just how he talks. I can't die. I said, well, I, said, I will call him Brother Wayne. You know, Brother Wayne. I said, Brother Wayne, how come you can't die? I said, I can't die. I've got too much to do. There's 300 churches that I have to raise money for this year. I can't die. Don't you love that? He's not beyond usefulness. He doesn't belong to the past. He's no he's not stale. He's fresh. He's alive. Any man at 97 years old that can stand up and preach, well, he sits down now, but preach two to four times every week in different churches all over Mexico. My God, listen, I brought him to Peru with me one time. He told me I nearly killed him. He said, you nearly killed me, dragging me all over the world. He's an amazing individual. But I look at people like that. He turns 97 the last day of August. He's young. He's young. He's young. When he goes home to be with God, he'll go home young. Because inside of him, there's vision. Inside of him. He's moving out of the place of inactivity. Now listen, what was this guy doing in the graveyard? Bible said he was cutting himself. Inflicting wounds. Anytime you and I move into an emotional or mental, marital, spiritual graveyard, we'll always inflict wounds on ourselves. Our decisions will be wrong. Our motives will be wrong. The things that come out of our mouth will be wrong. We'll inflict wounds. We might not be beating ourselves with rocks, but we're far more dangerous than stones are the toll of wrong decisions upon our life, wrong directions upon our life. You're not in the right state of mind in a graveyard. And so you need help. All of us have been in emotional graveyards. All of us have found ourselves to where life tends to lose its meaning. And that's when we question everything. We question ourselves. We, we can question a marriage. We can question our relationship with God. We can que- and that's when, that, that, that's when a lot of people walk away from God. That's when a lot of people walk out of marriages. That's when a lot of people just walk out of church because they're, because they, 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 they're not under, they're not in the right state of mind. This guy was not in his right state of mind. He was in, there, there was inactivity. There was, he was cutting himself. And I love, I love the, I love the thought because whenever you and I lose vision, see your vision is your future. This is good. Your vision's your future. So a man or a woman without a vision becomes a person without a future. And a person without a future will always return to their past, no matter what it is. And the problem in life is whenever I go back, I will inflict wounds on myself. Because the past, you can't go back. But we'll always go back. Because our vision is our Future. So a person without a vision becomes a person without a future. And a person without a future will always return to their past. Because, listen to me, your vision is your future. So a person without a vision is a person without a future. And a person without a future will always return to their past. 
Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He embodied a future, but he had to climb a mountain. And in that mountain, the cloud of God came and they didn't think he was coming back. So they lost their vision because they lost their future. And by the time he did come back, they had already taken the gold and built the golden calf and returned back to idolatry. Because a person without a vision is a person without a future and a person without a future will always return to their past. Peter misinterpreted when Jesus told him to meet me in Galilee and he got there and he wasn't there so he began to fish again. He was a fisherman, he returned to his past. A marriage that doesn't have a vision is a marriage that doesn't have a future. And a marriage that doesn't have a future are two people that are, that are gonna to return to their past, which means they were single. So they get divorced. If a guy breaks out of prison, every police officer knows the first place you go, if you bust out of prison, the first place you go is to the hood. They'll always find the guy in the hood. Nine times out of 10, that's where the guy is. Because a man or a person without a vision is a person without a future. And a person without a future will always return to their past and their past was the hood. So they go back to the hood. First place any cop looks, go to the hood because they're gonna be there because they have no vision. Therefore, they have no future. Are you with me? We inflict wounds. And then I love what happened. The story shifts. If this part of the story's dynamic, but I gotta find out the second half because the second half is, okay, I've been there. How do I get out? I don't want to stay there. I don't want to inflict wounds. I don't want to make wrong decisions because we will. We'll take counsel with the wrong people. Worst thing you can do is take counsel with yourself. Comparing yourself to yourself. The Bible said you become unwise. You become a fool. You don't want to take counsel with yourself because you're not in a state to take good counsel. And then if we do take counsel, we find people that will agree with the stupid decisions we're going to make because we avoid those that are going to challenge us. So I love, I love what happens. Are you ready for this? I love what happens. This guy went after Jesus. I love it. He ran after him. Fell on and worshiped him. We get this story wrong sometimes. I mean, you know, a lot of demons aren't out there worshiping Jesus. And he runs after him, falls down. And he talks about, he said, have you come to torment me? And in today's brand of Christianity, if I were to ask you that question, most of us would say, well, of course he doesn't torment us. And I would say, you're absolutely wrong. He does. He's the great tormentor. I have in my life seen few people, I've been in ministry 43 years. I've seen very few people. I don't think of anybody that ever changes until something disturbs them to the degree and they draw a line in the sand and they say enough is enough. I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of being ripped off. I'm tired of living this way. I've never seen an alcoholic come out of alcoholism and turn to God until they reach the bottom and say enough is enough. 
I've never seen marriage changes, change until one of those couple or a couple said, I'm tired of this type of man. We're going we're gonna to do whatever it takes. There has to be in a person's life something that disturbs them again. My conscience has got to be disturbed. My ignorance has got to be disturbed. My lukewarmness has got to be disturbed. If it's not disturbed, then there's no change in my life. I'll stay in that condition. But it's when I reach that point to where I draw a line in the sand and I said, I'm not gonna live this way any longer. God, I need help. When I hit that place in my life, God is always comes. Before he comes as the deliverer, he'll come many times as a divine disturber in your life. Are you with me? And until that happens, you and I will be content. We'll put up with it. We'll stay in that condition. We'll just live in that arena. Because we're not bothered. We're not bothered enough by it. But it's when we reach that point where they say, I ain't going to take this anymore. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to do it. I don't care who knows. I don't care what I got to do. I'm going to seek out counsel. I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to beat my fist in the ground. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I've got to do, but this thing is going to leave me. I'm not going to live this way any longer. God will always show up as the divine disturber of your life. Because unless I'm disturbed, I'm not going to change. Unless I'm disturbed, human nature is to put up with it. But God's nature is to disturb me so I'm no longer content to put up with mediocrity. I want to do something greater. Are you with me? I imagine I want to hit somebody. I'm going to come down here for a moment. Only hit guys. Now listen. Never hit a woman. <laughs> Never hit senior pastors either. Just hit the young guys. A little manhood. Put a little manhood in them. <laughs> Jesus' name. You ever been woken up by an alarm clock? You don't like it, do you? Nobody likes an alarm clock. You put the thing, you set your phone now. You know, we used to have clocks. Now we have phones. You set the thing. I set mine. I'd hate it. But sometimes it's necessary. I got to catch a flight. I'm in a hotel room. I can't even remember where the toilet is. <laughs> Walk into walls. I set the thing, maybe four in the morning. When the thing goes off, eh, eh. I don't do these nice ones. Bring, bring, eh, eh, eh. I got to be disturbed. I don't want to be disturbed, but I got to be disturbed. Because I'm not disturbed, I'm, I'm going to miss the plane. Something has to disturb me to wake me up. I got to get disturbed to get woken up. If I'm not disturbed, I'm never going to wake up. I've been around a lot of guys all my life, and some of them I like to hit, just beat them up, because they got to be disturbed. They got to wake up. They're not seeing the decisions they make are, are stupid. The road they're going down is dumb, and you want to slap them. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, and nobody preaches it anymore, that by the blueness of the wound, the soul is, is healed. Talking about men. Some men only listen because you hit them. A blue wound is a bruise, and a bruise only comes from a slug. 
I didn't hit you because of that. I just hit you. But sometimes the only reason why anybody listens is because you beat them hard enough. Amen. Can't preach this stuff anymore. Somebody sues you. And then I love what he did. Now listen to me. I've got to hurry up. Look at what I did. He disturbs them. This guy's fed up with it. I'm tired of beating myself. I'm tired of the tombs. I'm tired of inactivity. I'm tired of living this way. And then Jesus said, what's your name? I love this. Because names represent identity. All through the Bible, God gave names. God changed names. All through the Old Testament, you see that the patriarchs would name their children certain things. Some of them were good names. Some of them were bad names. But they named them. Because names created identity. You tended to become what you were named. And he said, what's your name? In other words, what are you identifying with? How are you living? And I love what this guy said. He was honest. Honesty means he was honest. And here's in my term, in my terminology, here's what he said. There's so much junk in me. There's so much filth in me. There's so much mental and emotional toxicity on the inside of me. I can't even begin to name it all. I'm just calling this stuff legion because I'm full of garbage, Jesus. I'm full of it. See, until I get it out, he can't cast it out. And there's a thought in this thing because as soon as he got it out, Jesus cast it out. And I love what he did. It's so picturesque. He stuck it in a bunch of pigs they're like the lowest. And then he had the pigs drowned in the sea. Because the Bible says God will take your sins and separate them as far as the east is from the west. And then it says he'll drown them in the sea of forgetfulness. They'll never, they'll never resurrect because they'll be drowned. But you got to reach that point. You got to reach that point. You got to reach that point. I, I'll just say this real briefly, but I was involved in a men's conference several years ago in San Diego. We had, we had over a thousand guys way out about an hour and a half into the interior of California up in this camp. And I'd never been there before. And I was so taken back by what they did because when it starts on a Thursday night, goes all day Friday, ends on Saturday. And these guys got to take off work, school, whatever it takes. They got to get out there. And as soon as they show up at the camp, they're given a two by four this long. A hole drilled on this side, a hole drilled on this side, and a rope. You put the rope through it, you tie a knot on both ends, and you write your name on the two by four, and you write every sin you want out of your life. I love that. And they call it carrying your burden, and then they have to wear it. The ropes across their chest, the boards on their back. They can only take it off when they sleep. They got to wear it. And everybody can see it. Everybody's sins exposed. Everybody's names exposed. Because the only reason why I hide it is because of pride. And pride says, what's Pastor Chris going to think? What's he going to think? You know what he'll think? He'll think, come on. Come on. I've been waiting for this stuff. Men, it, it's not belittling to lay your life out and confess your sins. It's strength to lay it out and confess it. It's a show of strength, not a show of weakness. And they wear this thing. And then on Friday night, they gather in their teams and the sun's down, it's late and they build a huge bonfire and they begin to pray for each other. And as they're led by God, one by one, they take their burden off and they throw it in the fire to be consumed. 
and never return. And I told that I was so taken back, Pastor, because I was watching this stuff and I thought, this is so doggone powerful. I called Ginger up and I said, my God, this is move, this moves me. But I watched a thousand guys, just guys, just getting rid of their junk, getting rid of their garbage, getting rid of their toxicity. And then I love what Jesus did right here. This is so strong. As soon as this stuff comes out, and this is how it comes out. It comes out because we're not going to put up with it anymore. We're tired of it. It's, there's an advantage in our life of just getting tired with junk, tired with mediocrity, tired of neutrality, tired of the motions, tired of a groundhog day and one day looking like the next, tired of it. We draw a line in the sand. We said, I want it out. We don't care what it takes. We don't care who knows. Jesus was there and the disciples. I love the thought. They confessed it to him and to men. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. It's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's something happens when you got to tell another human being. It's, it's harder. Easy to tell God, harder to tell a person. But it'll come out. And then he's restored in his right mind. And the first thing that comes back to this guy, he walks up to Jesus. He said, I want to be on your team. Purpose. Purpose comes back. Purpose. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? See, the first thing that God restores, and you'll know something because you have this burning desire to give your life for the cause of Christ. You want to do something. You don't want to, you don't want to, you, you're tired of that. You want to go out. And I love what Jesus did. Jesus said, he, cause he said, I want to be on your team. I mean, this guy's heart was right. I want to be on your team. And he said, no, 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 no. I got a good team right now. I don't need you. But he said, I got something special. I want you to return to the Decapolis. That's where you came from. 10 towns. I want you to proclaim the good things that God's done for you. Now, let me, just, let me just end on this. Let me end on this. This is great. Because purpose, to me, I, I, this is one of the central themes of my life is purpose. Because when a person loses purpose, they've lost everything. Purpose is so powerful that it's got to be resurrected. Now, most people are aware. I like, I, like, um, I like the Olympics. I like watching the Olympics. I always have. I especially like the summer Olympics. Now, everybody knows that, or at least we should, that in the Summer Olympics, the nation of Australia wins more medals per capita than any nation on earth. They're way ahead of us. It's amazing. I mean, the Aussies love to tell you that. They love to tell you that. And, and, uh, and, and they're right. But, but in the Winter Olympics, Australia sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah. They never won anything. Until. Until. 2002, they won their first gold. A guy by the name of Stephen Bradbury. Now, let me tell you about Stephen Bradbury. He was a speed skater, 1,000 meter speed skater. This guy wasn't even that good. But the guy had a purpose in his life and he wouldn't let up. I love it. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the strongest. Bradbury just kept skating. He wasn't even that good. In fact, not only was he not that good, before the Olympics, he was impaled by another skater. The skate went into him and he lost four quarts of blood 
That's almost all the blood in your body. Had 111 stitches to fix him up. And, and he, he came out of it and kept going. Two years later, he broke his neck skating. The doctor said, you can't skate. Bradbury wouldn't give up. Just kept skating. Despite the blood loss, despite the 111 stitches and a busted neck, in 2002, in Salt Lake City, Utah, February the 18th, Brad Bradbury shows up. Thousand meter, he gets into the semifinals. In the semifinals, you got to place once, one or two. That's it to go to the finals. They skate. Bradbury comes in third. There's nothing for third place. Nothing. When all of a sudden, the guy that came in second was disqualified. Bradbury moves into second place, which pushes him to the finals. They line up. 8.56 p.m. Mountain time. Salt Lake City, Utah. You remember Ono? Some of you guys remember Ono? He was there. The American, the, the guy Ono, you know, he's a little on the Asian side, and he was there. They got five guys lined up. Man, they're going into the finals. We're going for gold, silver, bronze, whatever. We're going for Bradbury's there. He wasn't that good. I'm telling you, the guy wasn't that good, but he made it. They take off. Now, and I, I've never skated, but they take off and they're doing that, that, that thing. What's it called? That oval. You know, and you ever watch them? It's amazing. Because when they come around that, that, that turn, they are bent. They're like, I mean, they defy gravity. These guys are, are just, and they're coming around. You watch them. And they're, just, and they're all bunched up. They're all bunched up. And they're coming. And every time they made a lap, Bradbury goes further behind. He's, he's working it, man, but he's further behind. And they make another, another lap. And Bradbury's a little, you don't watch the video now, but watch it later. It's hilarious. And he keeps on getting, especially when the Aussie commentators do it, it's hilarious. And he keeps getting further behind, further behind, further behind. And they're coming into the last one, the last lap. And they're coming in like this. And then you come through that, that curve, the curve, the curve. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I got that one. The curve. And they're like this. And there are four of them. Bradbury's, he, he back there. He back there. Bradbury's back there. And they're, and they're leaning in like this. And they're getting, oh no. Oh no's pushing this thing. Oh no's pushing it. I mean, he's, and they come, they come to the straightaway. And all of a sudden, the Chinese skater falls. Takes out the whole pack. Except Bradbury. His eyes get that big and he realizes I've just taken gold, the first gold medal ever for the nation of Australia. Now listen, 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 listen. I read, I read that story, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, now nine, nine, verse 11, NLT, NLT, listen to what it says. I have observed something under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. I like that, I like that. That's good for all of us. 
The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. And the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those, this is my favorite, those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all, watch this, it is all decided by chance by being at the right place at the right time. The problem with that translation is the word chance is nowhere in the Bible. It's the exact word quora. And quora simply means, quora means, means a divine appointment being where you need to be. The man or the woman that keeps showing up, the person that keeps showing up, the person that says, I'm just, I'm just gonna keep showing up. God, you will run into a God, it means a God appointed time. When there's a passion in your life, when the junk comes out and purpose is resolved, sometimes we lose heart because we don't see anything happening, but keep showing up, keep getting up, keep going after it, keep skating, keep pushing that thing because the day will come where you will run into a God-appointed time for your life. Amen, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. A God-appointed time. He ran into a God-appointed time. There's always a God-appointed time. The Bible says in the book of Song of Solomon, it's a beautiful verse. It says, the time of the singing of the birds will return. Birds start singing when the, when the sun comes out. It means the storm's left. The problems have been resolved. The birds come out again. There's always another, there's always the time of the singing of the birds. Just bow your head with me. Lord Jesus, we bless you. If you're here today and you'd say, God, I've lost heart. I need, I, I want passion back. I want purpose back in my life. I, I want to come out of that graveyard. I don't want to live a life of mediocrity. I don't want to live a lukewarm Christian existence. I want passion in my life, my marriage, my home. I want a fire inside my belly for God. I want to do something. I don't want to live in the past. I don't want to be stale. I don't want to be, be beyond usefulness. I don't want to belong to yesterday's dream. I want a new one today. And I want to get up and skate again, regardless of my difficulty, regardless of my hurts, regardless of my past, today's a new day. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, pray for me. That's me. My God, pray for me. I see hands up. Thank you. I just want to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, let your passion burn. Let your fire burn. Let there be resurrected within us a hunger for you. Let us get up again, Lord. Put the skates of life on and say, God, you put something in us. I'm not going to lay it down. Listen, I, I sense this so strong. I'm our, some of you have laid down your dream. You've laid down your dream. Oh, oh, you've laid it down. You laid it down. Pick it up. Grab it again. Pick it up. Grab the thing. Grab the thing. Come out of that graveyard. Come out of inactivity. Come out of it. Pick it up again. 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 And, and pick it up again. You're going to run into a God. You're going to, it's going to change. You're going to run into a God appointed time. It's going to shift. Something's going to happen. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just wait a moment. Just wait a moment. Just wait a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we bless you. We praise you. 
Thank you for Pastor Chris and Melissa. I see a, just a veil of yesterday moving and a huge open door of a future for both of you and for the church. Something, I mean, a, an open, God has opened up. You, there's an open heaven over your life again. There's an open heaven, an open heaven. And God's saying, ask, ask, seek, knock, ask again, seek again, knock again, ask, it will be given, knock, the door will be open. There's an open heaven over this church, there's an open heaven over your life. There's a greater, there, there, there's, there's things you, you relegated, there's things you, try, you almost buried that God's resurrecting again. There's things that you, that you had laid down, God's putting them back. God's saying, go for it again, rise up again. It's gonna be bigger, it's gonna be beyond what you can think, dream, or imagine. Because there's a power, there's the power of faith, there's the power of hope, there's the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. Dream again, pray again, pursue again, push again, move forward again. It's there, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. It's there, that veil, that curtain has been rent. That veil's been pushed away. The blackness is gone. The junk is gone. There's an open heaven over your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We bless you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen, Pastor Chris. Praise God. How many of us were blessed? Yeah. Pastor, I received that word. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, before we, we get out of here, I want everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes. Is there someone here who has never received Jesus Christ, but in this moment you felt the power of the Holy Spirit disturb you to the point where you cannot leave without surrendering your life to him. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Wow, I see hands go up immediately. Immediately. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to just keep your hand up. You don't have to raise it all the way up, but I, I want to see who I'm talking to. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with us. We're all going to pray together and we're going to pray this prayer. What we're doing is we're just giving Christ our life. Say, God in heaven, in the name of Jesus, I say this prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God. You were sent to this earth to bring salvation. You died, you rose, and you live. And so will I, because of you. Forgive me of my sin, and I thank you for that forgiveness. Holy Spirit, lead and guide me forevermore. I receive salvation in Jesus' name, and I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. Come on, say it one more time. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you for praying with us. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we invite you to be baptized. Sign up for baptism at our Connection Center. Sing with, uh, sing with uh, Pastor Raquel and we'll meet you outside.